This is Epicenter Bitcoin, episode 124 with guest Rune Christensen. This episode of Epicenter Bitcoin is brought to you by Ledger, now accepting pre-orders for the all-new Ledger Blue Developer Edition, a Bluetooth and NFC touchscreen hardware signing device. Learn more about the Ledger Blue at ledgerwallet.com and use the discount code EPICENTER to get 10% off your first order. Welcome to Epicenter Bitcoin, the show which talks about the technologies, projects and startups driving decentralization and the global cryptocurrency and blockchain revolution. My name is Brian Fogan-Crane. And I'm Meher Roy. Today we are joined by Rune Christensen, who is the visionary founder of MakerDAO. MakerDAO is a, a stablecoin system on the Ethereum platform that creates a stable currency called the DAI, which is specced to the SDR. Uh, we're going to talk to Rune about how the system works. But first, perhaps we should start with Rune and your background. So Rune, can you give us a bit about your background and how you got interested in this field? Sure. Um, so I'm an entrepreneur since uh, I left high school, basically. My first business was an expat, uh, an expat HR agency in China, which I started when I was 20 after working there for a while. Um, I've been studying international business, which I dropped out from university, and then biochemistry, which I also dropped out of. And both of these have actually been useful in uh, in designing the maker system. So in 2011, I got interested in cryptocurrency from uh, LulzSec. I still remember that. Like I still remember the the experience of discovering Bitcoin itself and like following the weird uh, Bitcoin address and then finally figuring out what it was and understanding the potential that blockchains have and all that stuff. So. Um, I got into stablecoins after I, I first lost faith in Bitcoin. Um, after the great Bitcoin crash of 2013, right? I think like the 2014. Yeah, okay. But the the great crash where I actually held a lot of Bitcoins all the way down because I was so sure that it was the future and the next big thing. And then suddenly I discovered this new altcoin called BitShares, which until then I'd never like, I th until but until then, uh, before then I thought altcoins were all scams basically and none of them were good. But then BitShares actually had tangible benefits over um, Bitcoin and other blockchains. One of them being the bid assets, which became the, like the inspiration for, for the DAI. Um, but another thing with, um, with BitShares that really made me like drew, drew me into it basically. It really made me made me see it as something special as compared to Bitcoin. It was the community, which had like a, a very strong coherence and uh, like this sort of decentralized collaboration that we are now trying to emulate and actually have already emulated pretty pretty well with uh, Maker and how we set up our organization as well. 
And so what was it about the concept of uh, stable coins that you found so interesting? I mean, I, I get that uh, from a speculator's point of view, of course, you know, Bitcoin going down, not so fun. But why did that attract you to stable coins? So I think the, the killer app of blockchains is currency, I believe. Um, and like, it's not just like a killer app, it's like a low hanging fruit and so on, which is why Bitcoin, for instance, is a currency, right? That's the first thing Satoshi made. And why it became popular and so on, because it's super useful, even when it's volatile, like even when it barely functions as a usable currency, it's still super useful and enables all kinds of things and it's extremely valuable. Um, and I mean, a, a stable coin is in a sense just Bitcoin done right, like I think, like it's just um, the, 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 just the logical conclusion of how you can use blockchain to, to make better money. And I mean, I know it's, it's, there's only something I really started, like understanding fully, like truly the value of stable coins is actually only something I started to realize um, after I, I really got into designing the DAI and, and uh, figuring out the mechanics of the system and so on. But like the business model of money is just the, the strongest business model there is basically. So like if you had to, if you have to like decide what kind of business you want to do um, and there's no one else doing money, then that's just always the best choice because it's like a it's like a product everyone needs basically. It's the most valuable product and it's completely vital for an economy. Um, and uh, yeah, like that was actually when I first when I first uh, wanted to to do a stablecoin on Ethereum, it was because I just right, I just recognized that Ethereum needed one. Like it's just necessary for Ethereum to even function in the first place. It needs to be a stable asset. Yeah, I mean, some some listeners may remember that we did a, a podcast on this topic before with Robert Sams on uh, a white paper he wrote. I'm sure Rune, you're familiar with it, uh, called Seniorish Shares, which I thought was a you know great concept. I mean, he never he never implemented it, but it was an interesting idea, and I think uh, you have a lot of a lot of similar designs here in in your concept. Yeah, definitely. In, in fact, I would say that our our system is, in a sense, a combination of, of bid assets and then senior shares like tagged on top of it in the form of the insurance mechanism that that ensures the fungibility between uh, yeah the, the, the stable coins that are issued with multiple collateral types. Um, so yeah, like uh, senior shares is like Another is like a great uh, stablecoin project. One more thing here, because I, I thought you phrased something in an interesting way. You said uh, the business model of money is the best business model there is, which is an interesting way, right? Because most people don't think of money as having a business model. Can you explain a little bit more what you mean with that? Um, yeah, just think about the dollar. Like the U, like the physical, the actual, like U.S. dollar note. That's the best product the world has ever seen. Like it's the most widely spread consumer product anyone has ever could and could possibly imagine. Like I mean, it's spread all over the world. Everyone knows it. Everyone uses it all the time, either in the physical form or like digitally. Whenever they do any sort of international transaction or anything like that, and and it's it is an actual service. Like it's not just. Money isn't just something that comes out of nothing and just works like that on its own. There's there's like a company behind the U.S. dollar called the Fed, 
which actually makes it work and maintains its stable value and 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 really just provides it as a product. And in return, they're allowed to take what's called a discount rate, which which they don't actually use. You know, it's not a for-profit business, so it's not like they they actually monetize. You know, in a sense, they don't they don't try to extract profits from the fact that they have the best product in the world. They instead like try to stimulate the U.S. economy and other um, public service uh, goals they have. But really, um, money is just a product, and that's that's a, well, I mean one of the basic things with Maker. We just set it up in such a way where it it like I mean our system is for profit, and we deliver this product to die on the Ethereum blockchain. But um, our our profit incentives makes us strive towards maximal stability because that's also how we make the most money basically so rune there have been like other stablecoin experiments in the in the crypto space there has been new bits which is bits bit usd and on bit shares um, they have bit cny bit usd and and all of these other assets right and i have been interested in stablecoins for like a year and a half when i i also realized that we do need stable assets but it seems that the demand for any of these assets has really not taken off do you think there's a structural reason for it and how and why would da- the dai uh, or a stable asset on ethereum break that trend so there's multiple reasons for this and for how we will be being different from those uh, stable assets but i guess most importantly it is just that um unless there's a very compelling reason to choose a stablecoin for its own merits um it's not it it, be, it it is really more of an infrastructure than a product in itself um for instance like we don't expect people to be hold like buying into the dai and holding the dai just as a like as, as let's say a swiss bank account or something in the beginning of the system they will like people will probably use the dai because they want to use some app on ethereum like or some some dapp right some decentralized application that they can't that that doesn't interact with fiat currency and that's where we come in to allow people to actually use just a dapp because if you're not using a stablecoin when you're interacting with a dapp you're actually doing two things at once you're both speculating on the ether price and using the dapp so let's say if you're a gambler you have to both bet on the ether price and you have to do your gambling thing if you're someone using a prediction market you have to do ether trading while doing your predicting as well and and overall um that just makes for a very very bad user experience like almost uh unusable in fact um and i mean this it's also one of the reasons i mean it's also one of the things with bitcoin where bitcoin only really took off for, for illegal transactions and and other like things that current like this the fiat currency just can't do it all but as soon as it, as soon as you know a business uh, or like a business activity approaches something where you actually have to compete with fiat bitcoin just doesn't stand a chance at all which among like we can also show we can also look at something like microsoft removing bitcoin from their store recently which i again think like i mean that that shows that bitcoin is actually a pretty fo- poor form of money for like regular transaction things because of just the, the volatility and that's where i believe in the long run with enough like development and enough uh, network effect and liquidity and users and so on that i could easily be become like this day-to-day thing that you just hold just like uh, money in paypal or something and then 
you just have it conveniently available and when you want to buy some stuff, then you check your accounts and, oh, I have some diet lying around. I'll spend that on buying this thing if, if the business takes cryptocurrencies, right? Which is what I think will be. It's not like, like there will be businesses will take all kinds of cryptocurrencies, Bitcoin, DAI, whatever, Ether, anything. And there's just a bigger chance people will be holding Ether than the other cryptocurrencies because, oh, sorry, holding DAI than the other cryptocurrencies because DAI will not have the, the same volatility. So it's more straightforward, less risky to hold. An interesting aspect there as well is that, so the, the DAI is pegged to this thing called SDR and perhaps you, you can briefly uh, give some background about what SDR is. Yeah, so the SDR is uh, the special drawing right, which is a, it's a basket of international, major international currencies, uh, specifically the US dollar, the British pound, the Japanese yen uh, and the euro. And they, they have combined together to form this basket, um, which is controlled by the IMF. Or the, the IMF are the ones who, who govern the, the composition of the SDR basket. Um, the reason, so, okay, so actually we're not pegged to the SDR directly in the sense that one die will always be worth one SDR. Uh, and this is actually because that's not even really possible with the pegging mechanism we use where we back it with other collateral types. And that's because um, doing so, like backing one asset with another, what like giving it, giving it the convertibility to another asset um, at, at parity. So like if you could always exchange one die for one SDR worth of um, its collateral, it would actually be a free, what's called a, a free option. Like you would have, it would be like a, a trade that's always available to you. And that per definition always has a non-zero value, which means the value of the die in that case would always be slightly above the value of the SDR. And uh, this is something we've observed, this, we actually seen happening with uh, bid assets and bid shares, because this is a me the mechanism they use right now is one that, in, that enforces like a, a perfect peg with stuff like USD and CNY and so on. And that actually results like the, that, that characteristic by itself means that the, the peg is broken in a sense because the assets become more valuable than the ones they are pegged to. Uh, so we, in a sense, we embrace this, like we embrace that the asset will not like... But I, I don't know, that doesn't make sense to me. So, so you have two assets that like, you know, some entity guarantees you can always change against each other. So why would that become more, make that an asset more valuable? I mean, especially if you imagine a two-way pick, then then what you're saying wouldn't work, right? Because then both would be more valuable than the other one. Well, so a stable coin, it's not like a two-way peg in the sense that you have pegs from, like two-way pegs or something where you move stuff from one blockchain to another, for instance. Usually that's how it use. Um, so like, I guess in, in this uh, context, it's more like, I guess it's more like a trade that's always available. You should consider it like, the, the collateral is really, the way it backs the price is that it it allows you to always do this trade that makes you end up with, with liquid cash in an amount that, that just ma makes sure that you have your, your buying power remain stable. And that, that feature then makes the actual market price of the asset stay at a particular value. Um, so we, like, we sort of, 
Like instead, we not, we don't even try to really like we don't try to actually peg to the SDR because our goal is not pegging to the SDR or pegging to the USD or anything in particular. Our goal is just stability. In fact, this is one of our the ways we market our system is just we we just call the die as, as like a an asset that focuses on raw stability above all else. Um, and and because we don't try to achieve this one to one convertibility peg system. Uh, we we can use some very advanced mechanics and some stuff that I guess in a sense uh, like I guess you could you could argue it's ugly like it's it means the price of the the die will always have like it'll always be some like it'll, in the same way that the different fiat currencies are related to each other and they have some really obscure uh, exchange rate the die will have the same characteristic of of just always being like never having like a pretty pick to any particular asset. Um, but instead, overall, just have stability in like its its uh, short term movements as well as its long term movements. Um, and then the link to the SDR is that the reference point of the die is entire like the die system prices everything else in SDR, and this results in the day to day volatility of the die uh, being pegged to the SDR's volatility. I guess you could say. Um, and this means we we end up with like a very an asset that has very like very good short term stability in line with basically or, or above even uh, the top fiat currencies in the world. Let's take a short break so we can go to Paris. I stopped into La Maison du Bitcoin, situated in the heart of Paris's startup scene, and I met with Eric Larchevêque, Ledger CEO, to talk about the Ledger Nano. The Ledger Nano is a Bitcoin hardware wallet based on a secure element. It is on a USB form factor that you plug directly inside your computer and it will manage all your private keys. The signature of transactions will be done inside the secure element, thus never revealing the private keys to the host computer. It is compatible with our own Ledger wallet Chrome app, which you can also use for multi-signature with Copay or CoinKite and a large range of third-party applications such as Mycelium, Electrum, GreenBits, GreenAddress and so on. The Nano also exists as a cool bracelet wearable so you can always wear proudly your Bitcoins on your wrist. The Ledger Nano is an easy-to-use hardware storage option which doesn't compromise on security. If you want to get a secure setup for storing your Bitcoins, Go to ledgerwallet.com and use the offer code EPICENTER to get 10% off your order. We'd like to thank Ledger for their support of EPICENTER Bitcoin. So uh, I think I think I understand what you're trying to say in uh, uh, you know, in in in, the, in that part, and and I, I have something to add to add to this in the la- latter half of the section. But first, um, first I think we should go through the big picture of the die because if we dive into the details, then uh, our listeners would be lost. So, um, give us like a big picture description of the MakerDAO system. How will it work and what are the major components of the system? Like what tokens are there, what kind of business model is there, etc. Give, give us a big picture view first and then we'll drill down into each of the components. Right. So, at its core, there is the DAI stablecoin, which is the, the stable asset that the entire system revolves around. Um, and the DAI is stable because it's always backed in excess by collateral, meaning there's always enough assets sitting locked on the blockchain, ready to buy back the DAI and maintain 
the stable price. So if you hold DAI, you never have to worry about the price suddenly dropping uh, in, this, in the sense that you can do with, with something like Bitcoin or Ether. Um, and the way this collateral gets there in the first place is like the, the big thing, right? That's what the various stablecoin systems have different mechanics for. And our mechanic is called the DAI credit system which is a decentralized peer-to-peer -peer, uh, credit market that anyone can join and use. And uh, the, the, the building block of, it, of the credit system uh, is the CDP, the collateralized debt position, um, which is a smart contract that anyone can create by interacting with the maker or die credit system. Um, and it works by having someone put collateral into a smart contract. And then based on this collateral, they are allowed to issue DAI uh, with, with a rule set that ensures that there's always going to be enough collateral to back all the DAI they issue, plus some more, right? Plus a buffer to, to protect against volatility of the collateral. So as an example, if you have, let's say, $150 worth of Bitcoin, or $150 worth of Ether, it's probably a better example on Ethereum. So you have $150 worth of Ether, you put that in a smart contract, um, and that allows you to issue, let's say, 100 DAI. So you issue 100 DAI um, that you now have, in, and, and you, can, you can spend that on whatever you want to do. One of the main things you will do with it, that people usually do, is leverage trading. So they will take the newly issued DAI and they'll buy even more Ether, so they get a higher exposure to Ether. But the cost of issuing this die is a debt, basically issuance debt that then also becomes a, a like that sits in the, the collateralized debt position. And this debt is what enforces um, the sustainability of the system because you're not able to retrieve your collateral unless you pay down your debt. Um, and this means that the the the, the supply or the, the die in existence all enter and exit circulation through these CDPs in a controlled manner, um, ensuring that there's always enough collateralization in the system. Okay, so let's 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 walk through like, like kind of an kind of an example. So first we assume like so let's assume that I I want a stable currency and I have today a volatile currency which is ether. And for me, like the maker system is a black box. The first assumption is it's a black box. So what I can do with this black box is that if I have say, so let's let's assume today the price of Ether is $10 in Ether. And if I have 15 Ether, which means $150, then I can go to this black box, send $10 into the black box, send 10 Ether into the black box, and I get uh, 100 die. And like 100 DAI uh, is something you can think of it today is like 100 USD, right? Um, and 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 I and I get that asset. Now, what happens when so I put like 10 ether into the black box? Now, what happens when the value of that ether rises? Do I get something out? Like suppose it goes from 10 dollars in ether to 20 dollars in ether. Do I get something out from the profits or? And what happens when it's the opposite? Like it goes from $10 in Ether to $5 in Ether. Do I lose money then? What happens? So uh, the important thing to, to note is that you, can, like, you own the CDP at all times. So you own the, the, all the assets in the CDP, which in your case would be 10 Ether. 
but you also have to like you you also take ownership of the debt in a sense, right? So um, you cannot retrieve your ether unless you pay down your debt again. So anything that happens to the value to the, to the collateral, so in this case ether, will just translate it directly into profits or losses for you. Um, unless like and and that means. Obviously, if it's profits, it just means that you have to subtract the value of the, the debt from it to understand, like to, to get the total value of the CDP for you. Um, so let's say that, let's say um, you, are, you, you use some Ether to issue DAI with, and then use this DAI to buy even more Ether. That would give you a leverage position where you have higher exposure to Ether than you, you have. If you just hold 10 Ether, um, you can get even more exposure if you then Use that 10 ether to issue some die, and then let's say you now have uh, 15 ether or something like that. Then, if the price of ether doubles, you end up earning a profit not just from 10 ether doubling value, but actually from 15 ether doubling in value. You still have to pay the debt, obviously. So there's still um, like there's still a cost for you. You won't be able to just re retrieve the entire profit of the 30. From the from the fifteen that have doubled in value, um, but you're just able to make more money. Like you, you're basically able to to, to increase your the amount of, of money you have available to, to play with in a sense. And if it goes the other way, okay, yeah. So yeah, if the if the value of the collateral falls, you also potentially take higher losses if you buy more ether, for instance, with your diet. And um, there is also a, like there's, there's some additional stuff to take into consideration for the stablecoin system when the value of collateral falls, because we very much do not want to to see a scenario where there is too little collateral to cover the debt. Um, and then we have uh, mechanisms basically to deal with this that results in uh, margin calls, which many people are probably familiar with from from regular margin trading, and basically. Like from regular regular leverage trading, where you where you trade with higher amount, like with, with more assets at once, based on, on borrowing funds, um, and this just triggers the same way in our system that it does normally. So if a CDP, if a collateralized deposition that is issued die uh, falls too low on its collateral, at some point it will be margin called and it will just be closed out instantly, and you will realize your losses instantly in order to protect the system from your position potentially falling into the negative. So how does that work? So I, I have put in some ether, right? I've put in my 10 ether, uh, and then I got some die out. Now the ether collapsed in value uh, so that my die is actually not backed anymore by ether, right? Like the, the, what I've put up in the bank or in, in the system uh, isn't sufficient to, to cover the value of the die that I have received. Or, or let's say it's dropped as much that it's like, you know, basically the same. I don't have the, the security uh, coverage anymore. Uh, how does that happen? How, how can my dice be margin called? Isn't that just like a cryptocurrency that I'm controlling? Uh, how would you be able to sort of remotely uh, take that from me? Well, so, so the Ether is held in the CDP. Uh, which you own. So you own the CDP, but the CDP is a smart contract with special rules in a sense, right? And these these rules allow it to issue DAI, but it also means that it is 
uh, vulnerable to the to a thing called a forced cover, which basically is um, if the if the value of the collateral falls too low, like if it falls into what in traditional financial terms is called the maintenance margin, like if it falls below that, then um, it like it, it becomes risky in a sense to the system, and the system will allow anyone to just cover it by doing a forced cover, which means they go down, they go in there and they pay down your debt for you. And then in exchange for the debt they pay down, they're allowed to buy some of your di- or some of your collateral without your consent. Like it just happens automatically. Um, you can prevent that from happening by having enough collateral, basically. So false cover only ever happens to people who, who leave too little collateral in their CDPs. So just, just to stay on that, so let's say the value of Ether collapses and I'm in that mode. So does that mean I should put up more collateral? Uh, yes, that would be the same. Like, that would be, if you want to avoid a forced cover, you should always keep your, your collateralized debt positions topped up with enough collateral. Um, okay. Usually, however, you will actually get a pretty good rate. So it's not like in, in some in some cases, um, like getting margin called or getting like getting the equivalent of false cover in some systems, like on on uh, leverage trading on centralized exchanges. Uh, that sometimes results in getting very bad prices. However, in our system, that there is there is like mechanisms in build that tries to ensure you get the best price possible if you are false covered due to low collateral. So another question here, just to sort of understand how exactly that system works, because I mean, you talked about the ether side, which I understand, right? So I put it in this, uh, in this system that then controls it sort of on my behalf and, you know, it goes too low, they can, you know, sell it and, or do something with it. But is the die itself handled in a similar way so that, uh, you know, maybe I have some public key in, in some contract uh, that then has a list of all the balances of everyone uh, of their dies? Is, is that, or how does the actual cryptocurrency aspect here work? Um, so the die works just like Bitcoin, I'd say. Like it's, it has got a balance database that, that has keys and balances and allows and then it has it allows anyone with enough like with some die attached to the key to send them to anyone else um, so in that regard it's actually completely standard cryptocurrency it's only when you start looking at how it's issued and how it's destroyed that it becomes interesting but it's not a standard cryptocurrency right because it's a ethereum DAP. well yeah that's true i guess you could say it's a standard ethereum subcurrency or whatever the term for that is. Right. And, and so, so that means that there's literally, there's just a, a, a smart contract that holds uh, all the accounts of all the die holders and all their balances. And then I can, you know, send a transaction saying for my account, give the mayor's account five die. Uh, and then the balances are adjusted in that smart contract. Is that, that's how it works? Yeah, that's exactly how it works. You send a transaction to the, uh, the DAI balance database in the center. You send a transaction to the smart contract system and it checks whether or not you have the correct balance. And if you do, it just adjusts the balances, just like in Bitcoin. Okay, one more question on this. One concern with, you know, with Bitcoin has been you know, the, the transaction size and the cost of it. And I know in Ethereum, 
uh, that can be a problem, right? If you have like uh, contracts doing big things, it can get quite expensive. What, how will the cost of you know me moving die to some other account compare with me just sending a regular big uh, Ethereum transaction that's supported natively? Is the Ethereum transaction going to be a lot cheaper because it's computationally easier? Um, actually, at Serenity, um, so okay, so so the DAI is what's called an Ethereum standard token. Like it, it follows what's called the, the token standard, which is like a, a way everyone implements their the cryptocurrency in Ethereum in the same way. This is so everyone like so all DApps can interact with all cryptocurrencies without needing extra code. Uh, at Serenity. Once the hard fork to serenity happens, the ether itself is actually going to be changed to follow the this token standard as well. So, right now, I'm not totally sure. I think an ether transaction is slightly cheaper, or possibly slightly more expensive. Uh, well, no, I think it's probably it must probably be cheaper, uh, but it's it's by like a very negligible small amount. Um, after serenity, it, it's going to be exactly the same. Like. And, and this is mostly like the, the vast majority of the gas that is used when you send a DAI transaction or any currency transaction is that you have to to change the, the long-term storage of the contract. And then there's a few other operations, but they take almost no computation compared to the long-term storage. So that's, yeah, I mean, it's, it's basically, it's, it's pretty much as cheap as it can get in a sense computationally. Uh -huh. So, for example, like if you do an Ethereum transaction, like a transaction with Ether today, it's co it costs 20 gas and you can specify the gas price. So you could say how much uh, you want to pay for each unit of gas. And today, if you do a die transaction, whenever it goes live, it might be a bit higher than 21,000 gas. But in the future, these two values will converge to one value when serenity happens, right? Yeah, and the, the reason for that is just because it's so much better to have one standard when people, like it's it's annoying for, for application developers to have to do, both deal with the Ether token and then all other tokens. It's easier if they could just deal with only tokens and all tokens spoke the same language. And that's, yeah, I mean, that's at least that's, I, I guess it's not, possibly not official policy, but I've seen, uh, um, I believe it's Vitalik that made, uh, and EIP for this. Uh -huh. Okay. So, so you, you, you've, you've, to, you've kind of given a view of the system that you have people who lock assets into the system and they get this stable coin, right? The system as a whole, I, I tend to see it as like this big pool of different kinds of assets. Right? So first of all, uh, can I use different assets? Can I lock assets apart from Ether into the system? Like you said, we could like Ether and get the DAI. Could I lock something else like a gold token or maybe a future DAO share or something like that? Yes, so this is where the link to senior shares come into play. So we we um, allow any asset in Ethereum to be used as collateral for the DAI. Uh, that, that includes, so it will be Ether, it will be Augur, Reputation, uh, Digix Global, Gold Tokens, our own maker coin um, and and other tokens, Bitcoin, uh, even like US dollars from uh, gateways or something like that. Like basically any asset that that can be measured with a market price and a stable uh, like a, a stable market order book and so on. So we can ensure it's not something that crashes instantly. As long as you have valid collateral, 
uh, and we can measure the price of it in SDR because that's how we measure everything in our system. Um, then you'll be able to to issue die with with some collateral requirement basically, um, and Maker itself then guarantees fungibility between these uh, diff I guess you could say different dies right that have different types of collateral behind them, um, and the way this fungibility like the way fungibility is guaranteed is through Maker insurance, which is like one of the primary features of the system. And what that protects against is uh, black swan events, as they're called, which are collateral crashes that result in under-collateralization of, a, of a, a debt position, right? So bad debt in the system, basically. As an example, it could be someone um, puts 10 Ether, 150 USD worth of Ether into a collateralized debt position. They issue 100 DAI, which is 100 USD, um, at the market rate at that point in time. And then they sell off the die or whatever, spend it on something. You know, they're just borrowing money from the system. Um, and then suddenly there's a flash crash in Ether and it goes from $150 worth to $75 worth or something. So it goes below $100 worth. That makes the, the collateralized debt position under-collateralized. So there's less collateral than there's debt. And that's extremely bad because um, it, it means that, that there's no longer an incentive to ever close the collateralized debt position, for instance, right? Because there's no reason why you'd pay down $100 worth of debt in order to obtain $75 worth of collateral. Um, and that could potentially break the system if something like that was allowed to just sit there um, because it means there's no longer this direct link between that the controls the circulation of the money where they enter the system through issuance and then they exit when you, you cover and pay down the debt again. So whenever there is an under-collateralized CDP, Maker simply steps in and just buys it up. Like just, and we call that a bailout because that's essentially what it is. Like if there's bad debt, Maker is uh, the lender of last resort that goes in and, and covers everything and ensures that the die is always collateralized in excess. Um, and the way this is paid for is, um, I mean, there's like, there's multiple mechanisms. So there's always like a small insurance vault, which is like a small fund of, of money that just is ready to, to pay, to, to do perform small bailouts. Um, but like the real mechanism behind it is forced inflation of the MKR supply. So MKR is the asset that backs the die credit system in a sense. It's kind of the... Um, if, if you consider DAI as a coin, then uh, MKR is a share. Um, so it's a share in, the, in the, the company behind the DAI, you could say, or the DAO behind it. And it's exposed to the profits of the system in the form of an insurance rate that is, um, that is levied on everyone using the system. And this insurance rate then uh, medic like, uh, like, counteracts like uh, what is it called um, it it balances out the risk of this forced inflation that uh, the MKR holders and maker itself um, has to take care of in case it's bad debt in the system so so basically if I can rephrase that right so let's say now I, I own 10% uh, of all MKR and there is some sort of crash so that uh, the MKRs are no longer sufficiently backed 
Uh, and that's where that sort of system kicked in, which basically means that there, the, the, the company to sort of say, MakerDAO says, we're going to have to sell additional shares to raise more collateral to, to again be able to back all the DAI coins that are out there so that you know, we can again have, uh, or we can have that peg maintained. And so that people aren't going to say, well, for this DAI, it used to be $1, but now it's only, it is only uh, backed by 70 cents worth of collateral. So I'm not going to pay a dollar for that. But of course, then if, if shares of that company are sold, uh, to raise more collateral, then I can say, okay, I'm still going to pay a dollar because, you know, because all this collateral uh, is, is coming in through the sale of new shares to, to ensure sufficient backing. And for me as a shareholder, of course, it would mean uh, dilution, right? It would mean that maybe before I own 10% uh, of all this, of this company, but let's say now they had to double the number of shares to raise sufficient collateral to again have all this backing, now I only own 5%, right? So it sort of got punished there in a way that makes sense, right? Like if I'm a shareholder of a company, the company, you know, messes up in a big way, which would sort of be the case here, then, you know, the shares, shareholders get punished. So it seems to be a mechanism that makes sense to me. Yeah, and so exactly, so like if a die, if there's not enough money to back the die, then Maker is basically the backer of last resort, right? So they all, Maker always has to step in and ensure that the die is stable and pegged and so on. Um, and that relates to to many types of collateral because then we can be a little bit more adventurous with what kind of stuff we allow to back the die with, right? Because we can we can have ether and gold and all those things put together. And even if we chose some smaller projects, like let's say there's some small depth that has a token, and we decide to allow that to be used as collateral for the die. If it then turns out to fail and uh, the the CDPs that were collateralized with their token uh, suddenly become worthless, it will not impact the wider system because Maker will just step in and, and perform the bailout. And this means, as as you say, like, there is significant risk to MKR holders. You, they, they risk getting diluted uh, in order to cover the bad debt in the system. Uh, but the difference, I guess, in a sense that makes this risk a little bit more acceptable and more direct also is that Unlike a company, Maker is a DAO that is directly governed by the shareholders. So it is like the shareholders actually are the ones that decide if we use some specific asset as collateral for the system. Um, and so if there is a if there is a, a, an event where a CDP becomes undercollateralized, it is actually directly the shareholders' fault. And they are just basically paying for their own mistake. Um, and this is one of the core concepts of the system also where uh, like the, the people who own MKR, they, com they regulate the system and they also ensure it completely. And if they, if they regulate it badly, they are the ones who end up having to pay for this, for the mistake. It's not the holders of DAI or the issuers or anyone else. It's just always MKR holders that, that sit down and do the overall strategy for how the system works. And then individual traders only have to focus on their own um, profitability. And die holders don't have to worry about anything. They are just backed by the collateral as well as insurance. So, uh, so that's a very interesting system because, like, what it's doing is uh, it's merging bit assets and Robert shares senior schemes, and it's like a hybrid child of these two, right? Like, it's, it's, you could almost think it, think of it like that. 
and um, what's very interesting is like there's these two coins the stablecoin maker and this volatile share uh, sorry the stablecoin die and the volatile share which is maker and when uh, when there's not enough collateral backing the die then uh, the volatile share gets like expanded and uh, that expansion is used to bail out the the stablecoin die so so the maker coin if i'm a, if i'm a maker shareholder right then i am exposed to the downside my downside is that maybe there's going to be a crash in certain collateral types and i have to uh, bail out the die holders uh, by dilution of my share how do i profit from the system so if if there's no collateral crash what's my upside yeah so since the risk of mkr mkr is really big there's potential forced inflation and dilution and so on the upside is also very very big to make up for this Specifically, um, there's an insurance fee charged on every single CDP that's outstanding. And all that money from this insurance fee just goes directly uh, to MKR holders through a mechanism we call buy and burn, which means there's literally a, a contract that there is like an insurance vault where the, the earned die from the insurance fee are temporarily parked. And then from there, they are just used to buy up MKR and just permanently destroy them, which over time reduces the supply of MKR, making it lower and lower. And because of uh, microeconomics, when you reduce supply and demand stays the same, then price goes up, meaning that if you hold MKR and over time there's uses of the system and no crash, your MKR will just steadily increase in value. So I, I had a question that was, was sort of puzzling me a little bit before, and I think it kind of relates a little to how our financial system works as well. So let's say MakerDAO has started and I am the first user of MakerDAO. So I'm going to put in that 10 ether we talked about before. I get, um, you know, 10 die. Um, but now, I owe, I, so I owe the system 10 DAI to get my collateral back out, but I also owe an interest rate. So essentially that would mean, you know, I have to get DAI from somewhere else to pay not only what I originally borrowed, but also the interest rate to the MKR holders. But if I'm the first, uh, you know, user, there are no other DAI. Right. So it essentially would mean that I'm never able to fully take out the collateral. Is that correct? Well, yeah, we get this. We, the, a lot of people uh, notice this. And uh, I guess intuitively it seems kind of uh, strange. But So it's important to understand that the, the insurance rate, like this additional die that has to be paid back, uh, immediately enters circulation again because it is used to buy up MKR. So the die just goes to whoever is holding MKR and... Uh, sells it to the buy and burn and as a user of the system you'd then have to basically approach like if you're the first user and there's no one else then you'd have to approach whoever ended up selling their mkr to maker for the buy and burn and then be like hey can i buy your die for some i guess you'd have like you'd have to give them some other asset obviously like because there's a cost of borrowing money um so it will cost you more money over time uh, to issue that will always be the case Okay, I think that kind of makes sense, right? Because so the, the, the die essentially... Uh, so does that mean... Hmm. So is there the... 
I, I also read somewhere that the die is is deflationary, so that you know, it's uh, over time it will cost um, less, or well, it, it, relative to the SDR or SD, yeah, SDR, it doesn't sort of remain a you know, let's say one to one peg, but it was actually going to become more expensive over time. Uh, why is that? Uh, this is actually uh, what I talked about earlier, um, where we like this this free option um, that you get when you have a stable coin that is backed by by collateral um, means, among other things, that uh, the stable coin is it will be like very valuable if, let's say, the collateral increases in, in value over time, for instance, and. Um, I guess the best way to explain the deflation is actually to not look at it as deflation, but instead look at it as a, an earlier mechanism of the system, which we was yield, where instead of, of um, like where we, we were actually able to peg, you can actually peg directly to the SDR if you just pay yield out to um, to people who hold the, the die, so they they would receive like a continuous payment, um, and this was when we really wanted to compare our system to like a bond market. Uh, so you can compare the die to like a bond um, where you put some money into the bond, which basically means you, you lend money to borrowers, which in this case means you're a die holder. It's a lender, right? You put capital into the system and die issuer is someone who takes capital out of the system because he issues die, sells it off and use that to, to buy some other uh, liquid asset. And there's a cost to this. There's a cost of borrowing capital. And um, you can you can uh, levy this cost in in two ways. You can either have it as an explicit cost where there is actually like an an interest rate um, that that is set uh, based on. I mean, and then that has to be set based on the market, whatever the market rate for borrowing money is. Uh, but we have just for sim, sim, purely to simplify the system from a, both from a coding perspective and from an accounting perspective and from some other for other reasons, also actually legal reasons. Uh, we just have this implemented as deflation, basically. Um, so the deflation rate of the system varies according to market, like so the market price of uh, borrowing funds, basically. And if you if you issue die, the die you, you uh, issue will go up in value over time um, because the people who hold die, they will demand, like they want a profit from holding die because they are putting capital into the system and they want they want a yield on this capital, um, and so you that that results in deflation. That means um, when you pay down the debt, the debt will be the same, but the value of the debt will just be more in in dollar terms or SDR terms, as well as the insurance rate, which you also have to pay. Um, and the the difference between the deflation and the insurance rate is that the deflation is the cost you pay to the capital providers, so, so the people who inject capital into the system and hold die. An insurance rate is the money, is the cost you pay to the, the insurance, basically, right, to the infrastructure itself. Um, I guess you could say it's the price you pay to basically, uh, like kind of like a middleman fee in a sense. Like it's a, it's a price you pay for, to Maker in order for Maker to mediate this uh, financial transaction that happens between the die issuer and the die holder. Uh, because the transaction can only take take place if there is fungibility, and fungibility can only happen if there is insurance that ensures that all collateral types are treated equally in the eyes of the system.
yeah yeah that's 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 a very interesting point and i, I think like if i could restate it like if i actually own sdr uh let's say you know then if i i would expect like some kind of annual interest on that sdr right like if i have francs i want 0.5% interest i'm used to that if i'm sdr i, I don't know what's the interest rate for sdr but maybe it's like you know there's a certain percentage interest now when i'm holding the dai i do not get direct interest out of the system but i have a cost in terms of this insurance fee so ideally i would like to have some kind of interest and because the system itself doesn't have a mechanism to give me new interest it rather pays me through this deflation right like so my dai is pegged to like 0.73 sdr today but tomorrow it will be like 0.75 sdr or 0.77 sdr and that in effect is like an interest for me right uh so if the holder of the dai does not pay the insurance rate it is the issuer that pays it but then uh, other than that you're you're completely correct if you hold dai you expect like if you if you hold money in any sort of account you expect uh an interest in that and in our system that is just paid through the deflation today's magic word is stable s t a b l e head over to letstalkbitcoin.com to sign in enter the magic word and claim your part of the listener reward I mean that's very interesting and uh, I like to point out to our listeners that um this seems like a like quite an involved mechanism with a, there's there's a lot of financial terms behind it but uh, maker has an uh, very elegant white paper and a couple of blogs that explain this mechanism through scenarios like the you know Alice and Bob depositing money and those kinds of easy scenarios so check their white paper out to uh, to you know walk through the system again if you're so inclined but we'd like to also cover how you plan to distribute the maker shares because so as you said like the system has two tokens one is the stablecoin dai and one is the maker share which together controls the system so how do you plan on issuing these shares and distributing them to the market so the basic is that uh, we have already distributed 42% of the total supply of mkr so the total supply is uh, 1 million mkr and 420,000 of those have been distributed before this system has even launched. And this distribution has happened mainly through uh, founder allocations and then public and private sales through our forum and various channels. Um it's been very like we've been very much off the radar. Um and the sales have been I I would say strategic in the sense that we have tried very carefully to choose uh stakeholders and we have um and we have actually deliberately made barriers to entry because we did not want um we didn't want to just get any random person to throw money at us because of the extreme risk that's involved with uh, stable coins and also just the experimental nature of the project um since the beginning basically it's it's actually only very recently that we have really I mean even ourselves have fully decided or started to fully feel like that it will work for sure basically um and even then I mean even now there still is a risk that the that you can lose pretty much all your money because of the forced inflation that's inherent um in it how much money have you guys raised with with selling these MKRs in total we have actually only raised about $200,000 uh we have been running on a very low budget and right now we have an extremely low burn still um 
we we don't need too many resources because we're only really making contracts and um, Ethereum is already there. Like the entire Ethereum infrastructure is already built for us. Um, and yeah, I mean, a lot of our supporters and a lot of our stakeholders just have like, I mean, they have, they have just received stake rather than uh, salary, which has been fine for them because I guess they've been able to see the long-term value and so on. And, and um, yeah, I mean, we are starting to ramp up now. So the thing is that we have, we have distributed these 42%, I guess, privately without much fanfare. Um, but now like the real, the real, uh, uh, how to say it, like the real phase begins where we start to actually go out and then we launch an Ethereum and we start to really market ourselves to everyone. Uh, the remaining 58% of the, the total app cast, so 580,000, are held in a smart contract called the fund, which is controlled entirely by uh, MKR stakeholders as a DAO. And this fund is then responsible for, for funding all future development and marketing of the system, as well as uh, distributing all the remaining MKR up to, uh, to stakeholders. So, so that, does that mean that uh, as, as, as founders, like, like you are one of the founders, your founder's stake is part of that 42% or part of that 58%? Because if 58% will be used for development, then... The, the founder stake and all all stake that is outstanding, so to speak, is a part of the forty-two percent. Uh huh. Um, the remaining fifty-eight percent is all like MKR that is yet to be distributed, and that will eventually be sold off, uh, potentially over a very long period of time, um, because we have we we have like long. I mean, th this system is designed to actually be permanent, and uh, like there needs to there are very ex expenses to pay over time with it, and uh, for that reason, we have ensure that the fund is extremely strong, that there is a large amount of, of assets available in it. And actually, if you go by, our, yeah, I mean, even at this point in time, the fund is already approaching the size of the Ethereum Foundation's uh, fund, which is very useful, right? That just allows us to really um, do long-term planning and uh, ensure that we really actively bring uh, Maker to, uh, to its full realization. So, so what do you mean with the fund? This is largest Ethereum Foundation's uh, fund. So you said you sold uh, two hundred thousand dollars worth of uh, MKRs. So, so wouldn't that be the most that can be in that fund, or or, or how exactly does that work? Well, so the two hundred thousand is uh, our like burn. That's money we've already burned. So we spent two hundred thousand already. We only we only sell off MKR exactly as we need it uh, on a. And so we run on like a very I guess a short term budget where we only we just sell off MKR as we need it for like the short period into the future. Um, but we have a ton of MKR and we have a lot of demand. And because there's so few sales and the sales are handled this way, there's like at all times there is buyers available to buy at a lower price than whatever the current price is. Um, and then if you go like right now, we are trading on uh, BitShares, which is, yeah, it's a, not a blockchain and they have an exchange and we have like an IOU running there. So it's kind of like, a, we, we're using it kind of like a centralized exchange, even though the engine itself is decentralized. Um, but so we have MKR trading there and because of the recent uh, ETH explosion, we also saw our own asset just increase dramatically in value. And 
currently is like sitting at it's like jumping around between 25 and 37 or something um so if you if you just go by that which of, of course economically this is uh, wrong but it's like a it's still like a i guess it gives a good uh, ballpark in a sense um, if you just go by this this um uh low liquidity market price that we're seeing on bit shares and then just say like the price of one MKR times the amount of MKR that's sitting in a fund that can be sold off over time to raise funds for expenses. Then, uh, yeah, we actually, we have something like 10 to 20 million or something in the fund, which I think is more than the, the Ethereum Foundation currently has. Of course, it's still nothing like, I mean, it's not, it's not in liquid funds. That's it. Like it's not in US dollars in a bank account, which is like a significantly safer I, I guess like it's it's significantly better from like a stability point of view to just have it in dollars sitting um but another thing is also every time the fund spends money and every time we invest in development the value of mki increases and correspondingly the value of the fund itself so like two months ago the fund had maybe one million worth of mki in it and now it has 10 million, right? And then this this growth could potentially continue if the growth of uh, Maker continues the way it currently is. Um, if you compare that to Ethereum, right, then you have like the Ethereum Foundation, if they hold, let's say, 5 million Ether. Um, I mean, if they hold like, like they hold like a small percentage of the, the, the Ether market cap, right? And then they hold 5% of the Ether market, or whatever, some random number, right? And then the Ether market cap goes from a uh, hundred million to one billion, then they actually still just go from uh, from five million to to um, uh, fifty million. Actually, on this, yeah, okay. Now that I'm thinking about this, like think about it a little bit more. Okay, I, we we probably don't have more than Ethereum Foundation, considering the like the ten x Ether made. That depends on how they made the sales, but but it's more like what I'm trying to say is more like that we. Like the market cap of of Maker has like a very strong influence on how much money we have available, and as we grow over time, like the amount of money we 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 are able to actively spend will potentially be like like very very high um, because it'll be something like half of the entire money. Right, because you don't do it the way sort of the Ethereum Foundation did, which was selling it all up front and then see how the price goes, but you sell a little bit. It's being traded at the moment. Uh, and then you sell a little bit more and, you know, you can sort of sell it according to the price where it's traded at. And so if that price keeps going up, then, you know, you'll have to sell less and less of your uh, MKRs to cover uh, expenses, right? Right. And uh, and also just like the, I mean, we, we sort of get to, to reap the benefit every time we make an investment, every time we sell off from the fund we receive some tangible benefit in the form of development or marketing. And then that in turn um, becomes, becomes even higher, like higher price, higher, higher market capital. And, and that in turn, and that in turn, the fund even bigger. So it's like a, it, it allows us to actually like run it in a quite a sustainable way where we just have to sell off less and less MKR over time and can, um, can like really set, set up the system to be um, like as, as economically strong as possible, which really is our goal. Like we just want to make an economic entity that can credibly back, you know, a, a major stablecoin, which is 
ultimately what that's going to be all about is just pure money, right? It's just going to be, we will need to have the, the capital available if we really want to be taken seriously when we say that you can hold a die and feel safe with your money there. Cool. Uh, one, one last question on the, on the sale. Um, like now that you have 58% left and you have never done a crowd sale, even if you had that option in the future, would you do it or would it always be private, private sales? So we were actually considering this just very recently. Um, but so from my perspective, a crowd sale is entirely like a marketing thing. Um, and then like you combine it. So the interesting thing with like a public auction style crowd sale is that you sort of, uh, force liquidity out of the market because like if you have a crowd sale and, and there's no people that buys into it, there's at least going to be like one guy that gives you like one Satoshi so he can get the entire stake. And then someone else sees that and he puts a little bit and it's kind of like a regular auction where you just start with a really low bid and there's no matter what, there's going to be someone who's going to put some money in there and so on. And, um, so it's also a bit risky. Um, if you don't do good enough marketing before crowd sale, you, uh, you risk like getting a terrible price. And uh, that's, that's also like, we, we were considering a crowd sale in the beginning as well. And we were just like, we didn't want to focus on marketing. We wanted to focus on research and figuring out if it was even feasible and so on. Um, and then at this point in time, it just looks like, like, again, like if we did a crowd sale now, we might be able to get more liquidity right away and so on, but it would be um, like, it would, it would require like a major operation from us. And we'd rather just spend that energy on improving the system itself basically and improving and also just like focus on, on core marketing things but just like getting on my like something like starting to set up social media and don't know like doing more interviews and like more media outreach none of which we have actually done at all until now okay cool so um one final thing is um one final thing is um you you once made a reddit post on on i think r slash trader and this red post concerned the nature of Ethereum itself. And I found it a very interesting post because it gave me a new perspective on Ethereum. I shared some of these ideas, but I, I had never been able to put them in such a nice form. So I'm just going to read out that, that post and, and have your comments and about the core value proposition of Ethereum. So when I go back to the post, uh, you said some, you said this, the core value proposition of Ethereum can be summarized in a single word, synergy. Each project on Ethereum becomes a multiplier on the existing value of every other project resulting in exponential rather than linear gains in the system. Every time any one project on the Ethereum network gains a new user or somehow grows in size, it ripples across the list of other projects on Ethereum and positively impacts all the others. And because of this nature, Ethereum becomes a, what can be described as an ever-growing snowball in time. So that so I've kind of modified your comment, but it's it's uh, it's it was it was mostly uh, it had mostly this tone. Can you explain this in your own words uh, differently and walk us through? Yeah, so this was actually a little bit like um, like an attempt at marketing maker itself because what I was trying to explain was just how how strongly maker is going to benefit from all the other projects on Ethereum. Because I, mean, I guess one of the main reasons is that a stable coin just fits into everything because everything needs a stable coin. Uh, but also like what I think is really 
fantastic about Ethereum is this common standards and like common interoperability between um, components. Like every every component on Ethereum, every every smart contract and every DApp on Ethereum has sort of native integration with each other. Like they they don't just know how to talk to each other. They like are like right next to each other in a sense. Um, in fact, like I don't even think like I think it makes sense to to talk about Ethereum as like one thing and then Maker as like a component of Ethereum rather than a, like a standalone that build on the platform just because of how like tight the integration between something like um, Maker and the DAI and let's say Augur for instance is where like or they don't even have to like we we don't even need a relationship with Augur for them like for for us to uh, to interoperate like we can use their token as collateral in our system. And they can use our stablecoin without ever even like us co collaborating on this in any way at all. It's just automatically works. Like they just have to, they use the token standard and we use the token standard and we use like the same type of, of ways of interacting with smart contracts. And they just have to write some simple code and it just works automatically. The only interaction they have to do is just figuring out where we are on the blockchain. Then they can uh, get directed to us. And this means that not only do we get to benefit from every project that's going to launch alongside us in Ethereum, but we also will benefit from every future project that's ever going to launch in Ethereum, assuming that we have, let's say, the best stablecoin, right? Because they will just they will look at Ethereum and they'll see, oh yeah, there's a great stablecoin, a great prediction market, this is a great decentralized exchange, there's a marketplace, there's other stuff, there's all these things that we can use. So we're gonna launch our own thing here and then our thing interacts with them in some way and we don't even have to like get let in by their you know little elite group or something it's not how it works it's just they just write the code they deploy their their contracts and then they just they will use the die they'll use etherx they'll use augur automatically without ever having to uh, to do anything all, more than just deploying ethereum Mm. And yeah, this extremely low barrier to entry is just it's why why I describe it as a snowball. Where like the the more projects that already exist on Ethereum, um, the more incentive there is for a new project to go to Ethereum and plug into this existing network effect. Yeah, yeah, it's like all of these projects like kind of connect together and form a web of applications, right? And then any new application is just can kind of plug into this web of all the other applications that are already out there. And you don't need any special contracts or special business deals with all the existing applications to do that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's that's kind of a very interesting property that I I really haven't seen. Like, it's almost like the internet, right? Like, uh, when I think of it, like Facebook is very interesting. Like, Facebook is fun because there's YouTube, right? Like, if there wasn't YouTube, then... People wouldn't be able to share videos and my Facebook experience would be much poorer. But because there's YouTube and people can share these videos out here, my Facebook experience is richer. And similarly, like there's New York Times, my Facebook is experience is richer because New York Times exists on the on the on the web, right? So all of these kind of applications on the web sort of link to each other, but there are uh, and they, they link it through HTTP. But like with Ethereum, what you're saying is like any applications on Ethereum are financial in nature, which HTTP is not, and they link to each other just like, just like the normal web, and that's that's a very powerful property that like conventional banking systems don't have at all. Yes, and I think it's also like you can say in a sense that 
a user of one Ethereum dApp very easily translates to users of other dApps. Um, I mean, for, for us, it's the most apparent because any dApp that uses us as a stablecoin just automatically like gives us one user for every one user they have, right? So, because we will be a core component of their system. Um, but it's also just very easy, f like it's like the same, you know, you use the same clients to interact with Augur as you use to interact with EtherX, for instance. So it's very easy for you to, to switch from, from one to the other. And um, yeah, same goes for every dev. Cool. No, I, I think that's definitely exciting. And it's in that way, it, it is a very, very interesting and, and unique dev. Now, just before we wrap up, What's the timeline here? When are you guys? Because it's it, there's not functional at the moment, right? So when when is it launching? Um, so it's launching very soon. I mean, we've been saying soon for the past two months, and now we transition to saying very soon. Basically, because uh, we actually have, like, we've actually had the entire thing sitting on Ethereum for a while, um, and just we, we've been doing like testing on the on the live deployment. Um, we also finished our security audit which was posted on Reddit, I think two weeks ago or so. Um, however, we're still doing like some last minute upgrades and are, are actually going to redeploy like the live thing we've had sitting in order to get like the perfect uh, starting point for when we, we launch. So, so the launch process will actually just be us taking what's already there and already been sitting on the blockchain and then just initializing it, uh, sending out all the MKR to everyone who bought in so the, the 42% that has been distributed. And um, what then starts is uh, what we call the DAI alpha, which is like a heavily crippled uh, centralized version of the system. That's, that's not really indicative of the full like implementation of it. But what it does allow us to do is like at least introduce a DAI uh, to the market, for instance. So we will have a DAI stable coin. Um, but it will have like, it will basically be much more dependent on the governance by, by stakeholders directly and, and a lot of the, the processes that will, ever, that will eventually be fully decentralized and fully autonomous are going to be manual at first. Um, and we will then, like, the, the system is built so it can be upgraded on the fly, like it's fully dynamic, it's able, it's actually possible to switch and, and upgrade every single component of it in the beginning. Um, and that's going to be how we transition from centralized dialpha to fully decentralized and fully uh, insured and, and fully working die credit system, uh, one component at a time, actually. So the first thing we will add is just the CD, the collateralized debt position component without the insurance. So that will be the first step. And then later we will add the insurance and then we will add direct voting. Uh, and then eventually we will lock down the system completely. So like uh, no further drastic changes can be made. And this is done in order to just secure the system. So so uh, stakeholders can't suddenly decide that they want to try to steal funds or something. Um, however, even during the beginning, like even in the beginning, stealing money from the system still isn't easy because uh, everything is secured with um, with a time delay, basically giving everyone a warning um, if they if they see like a like an action that might maliciously impact them. Cool, fantastic. Uh, thanks so much for coming on, Rune. This is this has been super interesting. I think this is one of the. Actually, I was just going through our old episode list before because we've done quite a few episodes uh, about Ethereum, going 
you know, far back. But this is the first time we've sort of, you know, purely done one on a DAP. And I think this has been a great DAP to start with because it's definitely a sort of fundamental component that could have a huge potential and a huge significance in the Ethereum ecosystem in general. So I think that's really exciting. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm certainly excited to see where this is going to go and, and when you guys launch. Maybe one last time, if people want to get in touch or if maybe people want to purchase some uh, DAI, uh, some MKR, how can they do that? So our website is uh, makerdao.com from where you can see the white paper and then join our Slack. And, and in general, I would say the best way to get involved with Maker and like get into the community is to either join a Slack, which is open for anyone to join through our website. Or recently we started a subreddit, so uh, r slash MakerDAO on Reddit, which has a lot of useful links and is also a great place to start. And yes, uh, thanks a lot for having me. Um, yeah, I guess I still need to learn how to like verbally explain the system. At this point in time, like I have a lot of practice in, in doing it in writing, but this is a First time, I guess I've tried to like explain the entire thing through voice, and it's it's difficult because it's it's very hard to like uh, manage where to start and, and where to go and stuff. Um, but yeah, like you said earlier, I would definitely encourage people to read the white paper. Like one one of the things with Maker that we have always uh, tried to really like um, ensure that people understand is that you sh it's not something you should. Get it. Like you should not get into buying or trading MKR unless you know how the entire system works from top to bottom because of this immense risk of, of forced inflation. It's not something like Ether that you can just buy and hold and like go on Reddit and see everyone else saying, yeah, it's great. Yeah, okay, I'm going to buy some. I don't really understand how the EVM works, but I'm just going to you know, hold some on the exchange and it's going to be good. With Maker, you actually have to like actively be involved in governance and have to understand what's going on because... You're, you are the regulator itself, like you are, and, and you ensure what, what you're doing with your regulating powers. And if it, doesn't, if it isn't done well, then you stand to lose a lot of money. And if it's done well, then you stand to gain lots as well. So like our community is a bit special in the sense that it's, it's, it's tight-knit and it's like people who are, it's, it's all people who are specialized into to this very thing and who have spent time in learning how it works and uh, who, I guess, strategize together and, and really try to, to look more like a company or more like a, like a, a coherent organization um, rather than many of the other communities because of our reliance on governance. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's, that's a great point and important point. And, and, and to be honest, I think, I think you did a fine job. It is a complex, complex thing to explain because it is a, a complex uh, structure. And I think in, in your guys' defense, there probably isn't a simple way to accomplish the same thing. So I think the complexity here is, is just something that's necessary. So thanks so much for coming on. I think this was really interesting and I hope our listeners enjoyed it as well. Thanks a lot. And thanks so much for a listener, for listening as always. So Epson Bitcoin is part of the L Let's Talk Bitcoin network. You can find uh, all the shows at letstalkbitcoin.com. And you can also subscribe to Let's Talk Bit uh, to Epicenter Bitcoin using uh, any podcast app, or you can watch videos on YouTube.com/EpicenterBitcoin. And if you're a loyal listener and you want to support the show, you can leave us an iTunes review 
uh, send us an email at show at epicenterbitcoin.com and we'll get a t-shirt sent to you. It really helps new people find the show and we appreciate it a lot. So thanks so much and we look forward to being back next week.